There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Christy Nicholas, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you, Mark. I'm very, very happy to be here. We've got lots of mum things going on, as you know, mumpreneurs and all these sorts of mum things, mums in front of the back of every suffix or prefix on lots of words. What is mum power? Mum power has been around for about 13 years and what brands come to us for is to help them fast track their growth um, to reach more mums and and build relationships with the mum market. So uh, brands will come to us for a range of uh, different things like influence activation or product reviews and um anything else that will help them build stronger relationships with this very lucrative audience. Yeah. Well, why did you decide to establish a business called Mumpower? What were you doing before that? Well, I come from the toy industry, which um, I've worked with some really amazing entrepreneurs, uh, Moose Enterprise. And I remember being in this role as a marketing manager and uh, we used to always hire other agencies to help us with above and beyond campaigns. And uh, What does that mean above and beyond? Look, say, for example, as a marketing manager, you have your day-to-day tasks, but then there might be a new project or a campaign that you're launching and you'll hire a PR agency to really concentrate on amplifying the brand message and getting as much coverage and momentum as possible and really getting um, runs on the board with sales, so getting that additional push. So as the marketing manager, we used to hire uh, agencies to support us with these campaigns. And I felt, in my opinion, that the agencies could be fantastic, really brilliant, reputable agencies. But if they didn't really understand the mum market, then their message and their comms was just not as compelling and it didn't really hit a nerve. And I saw that a number of times and that's where I first identified that I really felt that there was room in this market for an agency that exclusively specialised in understanding how and um, mums think, the language that they connect with most and um, what uh, a brand needs to do to, to really hit a nerve with them. There's a special market called the mum market. In the industry that I, I play in with mum power, we are dealing with Gen X and Gen Y mums who have largely got um, uh, children at home. So they're still raising children. Uh, and when we say the mum market, the mums, because they're the ones who are doing the majority of the purchasing decisions for the home, uh, it's any brand that wants to reach a mum because the mum is the one who is deciding what products to buy for herself, for the home and for the and for, for her children as well. A little over 20 up to yeah. about 40, 43. When you say mums, uh, you're talking about women managing the house and managing the kids. Not ju- not exclusively because when we're looking at mums, you know, there are about 35% of mums who don't work at all. They're, they're 
they're working from home, like as in they yeah. don't have a paid job, but they are working as um, a full-time mum. So it's not just mums at home, but no. it's mums who go to work. What are the characteristics of these individuals? Whether a mum is stay-at-home, whether she works full-time or whether she works part-time, they are united by very similar characteristics. Uh, they are, and there was even an article in the paper again that the ABS brought out, and um, even in this day and age, doesn't matter the mum's background or qualifications, she's still taking on a lot of the stereotypical roles. So she has got the majority of pressures, like she's got to show up, you know, as a career woman or, or, or working or so forth or being at home. She's multitasking. She's got a lot on her mind. Like there is something that is considered the mental load that even if um, the mum is working and, and equally working as much as the partner, she's the one that still assumes the majority of parenting responsibilities and um, what she needs to worry about for her kids and for the home. So at the end of the day, the uniting characteristics about mums is that they are super busy. They have got um, a lot that they uh, have got on their minds in terms of all the micro decisions for their family and for themselves. And they are definitely looking for value for money and they want to make sure that they are making the right buying decisions with anything that they bring into their homes. So like, is, is it, but as a characteristic, for example, um, it sounds a bit weird, but their duty, the assumed duty is to make sure those things are matched. So they they therefore have have to become thrifty. That would be one um, avatar for one type of mum, but um, we definitely wouldn't define um, like the one size fits all because there's totally different types of mums. And what we would recommend is that the brands would look at the different types of mums for their industry or their, their characteristics. So yes, there are some mums who are thrifty mums, but then there are also mums on the opposite end of the scale. That so are, much money doesn't matter. They just spend, spend, spend. Uh, uh, maybe not so much in this day and age, but there'll definitely be a type of product that they do, don't compromise on and they will spend more and they might budget on other things. How do you collect the data? Mumpower's um, got a network of 20,000 Australian mum shoppers and they've opted in to be a part of our network specifically to give us feedback on what hot topics matter to her and also to give feedback on why they will or won't buy particular brands on the marketplace. So we've really got our finger on the pulse of what Australian mums are thinking and feeling in today's day and age. That's interesting. So how did you get the 20,000 names and addresses and emails and uh, you know, the attention of those individuals? A lot of that came through organic growth. So Mum Power has been putting on the events called the Bloggers Brunch for, you know, since we started as well. And influencers come to that event and um, they organically promote Mum Power. As a result of that, like more and more mums have joined part of the, the Mum Power network. And then each and every time that we are uh, required to conduct market research for brand, our brand partners, that's also an opportunity for us to acquire new um new data and, and new mums who are part, form part of our family. And a lot of that does come through uh, social media and referrals and um, mums organically coming across mum power and um, joining our network. Because the Australian Bureau of Statistics uh, works out its analysis for CPI increases and various other statistical analysis that does, I think it's probably something like 20,000 people. And then they extrapolate from that for the whole population. If I was like, I'm a big brand, let's say, for example, and I'm Kellogg's Cornflakes, I'm trying to get to the mums, what would you tell me about your data? We've got a um, head of research and she assures me that all our data is perfect representation of the spread of mums in Australia. So our 
when while we've got the 20,000 that we reach out to, obviously 20,000 are not going to participate in surveys and, and market research analysis, but the minimum survey respondents are a fair representation of what the everyday Australian mums are thinking and feeling. So it is well spread across the, the major states and so forth and ages and, and um, income statuses as well. In this business here, when buying agents or media buyers come to us on behalf of big brands like NRMA, MX, et cetera, um, NBN, they are looking to us for data. I mean, how do you go and pitch to one of your big brands? Give me the name of a brand. Are you allowed to say the name of a brand that you might talk to? Might be yeah, a sure. I'll say one of the brands that we're working with at the moment, Spring Free Trampolines. I feel very lucky because we've been in the industry for 13 years and we have built up good reputation. a good reputation. Yep. And in all fairness, um, a number of brands come to us because we've been in the industry for a long time. So you got time? I decided during COVID to be a lot more strategic with that. So while we were doing market research before COVID, uh, when COVID hit, you know, I'm from Melbourne, so we copped the brunt of it, um, I knew well, by listening to the marketplace, that obviously brands were going through a lot of chaos and a lot of uncertainty. And I thought, what can Mumpower do to show up for them? Forget about the revenue, forget about clients. What can we do to provide some certainty for them right now? So we strategically um, started creating quarterly research insights to get buying predictions from mums. And we would generously share these um, results with whoever was part of our corporate network. So we're letting them know what mums were interested in buying, how they were feeling so they could align to them. And we're sharing that along with strategies. Now, by doing that quite consistently every quarter, we weren't charging for this. This was a free service that we were doing. It gave us an opportunity to show what we did. We got to talk about our data. And then the beauty of it was because we were doing buying predictions, we were asking the mums, what do you plan on buying in the coming three, four months. None of us knew if it was going to be true or not, but that's the best that we could do in the in the marketplace. Then what would happen consistently after the three, four months is the actuals that would come through were matching what our mum said they were going to buy. So we got some runs on the board there to show that we do um, no mums and doing those free um, webinars and masterclasses with brands enabled us to give them a bit of a taste of what they could get and then that way they could come to us and because they could see, oh, if they know that much about mums in general or particular um, topics, then we could also support them with their own problems as well. Your game during COVID, as you say, was to find out from the left-hand side of the marketplace, the mums, the audience, what it is they would like to do and then feeding it back to the brands and build up your reputation um, that way. Correct. And that's for one part of the business. The other two parts is we have got um, an, an enormous mum influencer network. So mum influencers on, and online creators who are really key when, in, when you're looking at mum's buying journey to help with brand awareness. So brands will come to us for our influencer marketing. Micro influencer. Yeah, yeah, largely micro. And now with, you know, the evolution of TikTok, we're also working with more everyday creators who are not even micros, but they are willing and able to create amazing, authentic, real content, um, raw content. Uh, so we've got the influencer network. And then um, thirdly, it is product reviews from everyday shoppers and uh, working with them to, to share their experiences with brands that they're buying. Oh, that's cool. So 
Yeah, so you can offer all three of these categories as part of your business model to the vendors. I remember like several years ago thinking, you know, there are different brands out there. There are diff- There's different ways to connect with the, the mar market. What can we do that will elevate us and really um, give brands what they need and what is most valuable to them? And obviously what is most valuable to brands is sales. So from there, we started concentrating on what can we do? How can we productize our offering to um, really drive sales for them? And that's why how we um, created those products to to help them with pushing those sales. I mean, so many people set up these businesses where they build audiences. The game is to work out how to monetize. You know, either monetize the mums, in other words, make them pay a subscription or something like that. that's one way of monetizing. But the way you monetize it is monetize it at the the vendor end. So you take valuable data from your cohort of audience. Who you've got to keep feeding. You've got to keep. You've got to keep talking to them as well. I mean, they've got to find a reason to stay on your database actively, not just be a, a dead or a dormant piece of data on your database, but an active person on there. Otherwise, they won't respond to the surveys you do. And then, assuming you mathematically or statistically can get a quality survey then all of a sudden you've got something to offer to the vendors which you can then monetize. Mm-hmm. What we do is we look beyond the 20,000 because to be honest, 20,000 is not like that much of a big deal. What's the big deal is that we've got 2,000 mum influencers who speak to millions of Australian mums. So while we've got the 20,000 that support the brands with the research, we also have beautiful, strong relationships because relationships is like part of our ethos with mum influencers. So we take the brand message, we share it with the influencers and they spread it at scale with everyday mums. So a brand is not limited by what we have because, you know, that's sure that's wonderful for the research part, but, you know, the Australian mum market is many millions and we want to help them reach as many of them as possible. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Christian, we often hear about mums making all the economic decisions in the house. I remember watching, where was it? Maybe it wasn't watching My Big Fat Greek Wedding, but it was uh, somewhere along the line I saw someone talking about the word economy. And they said the word economy comes from the words economical, which means household management, managing the house. And uh, obviously, you know, our house in Australia is in economy because it's the Australian household overall I'm talking about. So there's an Australian economy and then there's a, at a very micro level, there's a home economy, which is household management. 
And in the traditional sense, women have often been reputedly, and I don't know if it's the case or not, um, responsible for managing the household income. At the end of the day, it's as simple as the fact that she's the one that's doing most of the shopping. So the majority- Spending, you mean? Spending, yep. yeah, sure, for, for the household. So yeah, say, yeah. for example, she's yep. the one that's doing most of the grocery buying. Yep. She's the one who decides, you know, what the kids are going to wear or eat at school. Yeah. Um, what brand of- lunchbox or drink bottle or so forth, where they might be going on the weekend or so forth. So at the end of the day, because by default, she's the one that's deciding and, and buying, um, that's where the responsibility is falls on her shoulders. Is there any pushback on that? Is, are, there, are, there, are you seeing that there's women who are mothers who are saying, fuck that, I don't want to do that, um, you do it? She's doing it even going to work. She's still got that assumed responsibility. Now, understandably, it's not every single household and it's not for every single type of product. Like there are some products where the partner is more involved, um, but largely whether she's working or not working, she's the one that is doing most of that purchasing. We haven't seen that pushback. Um so who knows what will happen over the coming decades or so forth. I can go back to the um 70s when I was at university and uh, I remember we had to read a book uh, which Dr. Ann Summers wrote called Damned Whores and God's Police. And, of course, Ann was a big-time feminist, vocal about it. Um, she would have said stuff that at the time. Um, Sadly, Mark, I don't think there's been anywhere near enough progression as what you would assume because, you know, just looking at this data that came out over, over the weekend um, and to see that Gen X are still doing so much of the stereotypical roles, um, there hasn't been anywhere near enough progression. There, there definitely has been change and it's fantastic to see more um, dads involved in, um, you know, parenting or taking time off work the way traditionally mums did and um, workplaces being a lot more supportive of that. So yes, there has been some positive progression. Uh, at the end of the day, there's still a lot that falls on mum's shoulders, whether it doesn't matter whether she's working or not. And, um, you know, the generation that we're in, it just hasn't progressed enough. It's interesting because, I mean, like I was a single father, um, and uh, I was both mum and dad. Had to be done by somebody, so shit, I just do it. <laughs> That's it. There was no, not because I was some sort of superhero or whatever, thinking I was good and better than anyone else. I just did it because it had to be done. Um, is Do you think that's the reason why that traditional mum style exists, still exists? Because someone's got to bloody do it. Because I just don't understand why it does fall to the woman. I don't get it. I wish I got it as well, Mark. And sometimes I think to myself, my goodness me, is it how our brains are wired or so forth? Because I'm fairly confident that a lot of mums want to do other things other than take on the majority of the, the household chores and so forth. Um, and this is not to say that dads are not doing, uh, not contributing, because that's not what the data, what, what we're reflecting on. Um, and it could be that mums are overthinkers. They look, they're worrying about all the little things quite a lot. Like, you know, she could show up at work, but she's still going to be thinking about the fact that she's got nothing in the fridge to cook for dinner, the fact that she has to organize something because it is, um, you know, Easter parade and she needs a costume or so forth. And they don't know how they're going to juggle the weekend. She is more used to or wired in a way where she will overthink this stuff. It's not like she's just dealing with one thing at a time. Um, so it, it could be a, ho a whole combination of factors that are influencing her to still um, take on these roles. It'd be interesting to know if there is some sort of um, neural reason why women 
tend to take on these duties. You know, in other words, they're wired differently. You often hear that. I mean, maybe we have to go and listen to Huben or something like that who's going to tell us the answer to that question. But um, it, it just seems to me I wasn't very good at this, by the way, when I did it because, I'm, you know, my kids are turning for Easter thing and I forget to give them, make them an Easter hat or whatever the hell they had to wear. And um, the kids weren't – sometimes the kids weren't all that happy about it. Um, and I was always trying to make amends. So I ended up getting a nanny. That was easier um, for me. But I was lucky I could get a nanny. I could afford one. Um, for those poor buggers who can't afford a nanny, I mean, I just don't know how the hell they do it, guys and, and or women who are single mothers as well. So the – Economics, we go back to the economics of home. Are women actually good economists in the home? Because I remember when I was at school, by the way, women did a thing called uh, a subject called um, home economics. There was actually a subject called home economics. It was never offered to boys, but girls could do it. I'm talking about the 60s, of course. Are women a good economist in the house or do they just think they are? No, they definitely are. And the reason why they are is because they do um, a crazy amount of market research. Before they go and buy certain things, they will um, do a lot of research to find out what's the going rate, what what's the value for money, can she get a better deal elsewhere. So they are because, you know, they, they, they make informed buying decisions. So that's one thing that they're doing that that demonstrates that they are actually good so at that's it. That's your research has shown you this. Yes. Yeah. yeah, correct. Yeah. Before she'll buy the majority of items, she's very, very well informed of what she's getting. Um, and then because she's doing it quite regularly, um, she knows based on past behavior if that is acceptable buying behavior or if she's if it's more expensive or or cheaper or so forth. And also they're asking other mums and other mums also their their own backbone to help them make better buying decisions as well. So they communicate better. So I think that I mean if I did a survey one, um I remember I wouldn't ask anybody any about anything. Um I just go, oh, should I go I gotta get some T-shirts, I just go and buy those. I never would go and look at 20 different types of T-shirts. I'd just go buy whatever I had to be bought at the time and I'd worry about the consequences later. Um, and it was never – I would buy things during the sale period if there was a sale on around Christmas time, et cetera. But generally speaking, I bought it when I needed to buy it and I wouldn't do any research and I definitely wouldn't ask anybody else. Um, but my observations are – you're right. My observations are today that uh, women tend to be better researchers or tend to be – more keen on looking at what all the offers are, even if they're buying something for themselves. So they go to 10 shops and look in 10 different shops before they make the decision what they're going to buy. Whereas blokes, most blokes I know, maybe I only know certain socioeconomic people in these days, but they go buy, they know what they want, they go and buy it, they buy the same thing every time, they don't give a shit about the price. Um, they just they know what the price is roundabout and they go and buy it. That's it. Um, is that something that your research is showing that, focused on getting a good deal, but also good value as well. Yeah. The research is showing that, you know, she might discover a product independently and that might be that through social media ads or influencer marketing, she will ask another mum, you know, have you heard of this or you know, what's your opinion on that? So she will ask her own network. Then she'll jump online and um, do her own market research. So she's going to look at the brand's website, the brand's social pages um, and reviews or so forth. She needs to fill her knowledge bank. Um, so if she's got, as she does her market research on this purchase that she wants to make, if the brand can't quickly answer the questions that she's got on her mind, she's going to move on. If it's too hard for her to get that information, you've already lost it. That's interesting. So there's a, there's a time period. Like, Do you sort of have a sense of how long? 
someone will stay on a website. So we will, you know, we'll test the market. We'll find out what what messages they're responding to most, what got their attention with competitors of, of that particular brand, what are their unknowns, what are their deal breakers. So whatever is coming up as the questions that they need answered, that's what we tell brands they have to prioritize. So that's one one thing that you've got to answer the questions that are on her mind, but then it's how you answer the questions. Like if, language, you mean? Like language. If it is way too corporate and like dry, um, that's good in, in some ways, but it's not enough. They need to see compelling reasons to buy. They want to know what the effect is going to be on her life because, you know, they're there to solve their own problems. They, you know, their lives are stressful. They've got a lot on. And the reason why they're buying your product is because it's going to provide a solution for her life. So it's also important that brands give her the information the way it's going to resonate with her most. And is that where influencers come into? Because an influencer is sort of giving a, an independent review of something or other. Um, and also influencer will use their language um, as opposed to the maybe the corporate language of the vendor. When mums are in that phase where they're gathering information, yes, they do want to get some of the facts from the brand, you know, like maybe what the guarantees are or how it – Size. Yeah, think some of the basics yeah. she'll get. Then she'll look at influencers to see how does it fit into her life, like actually see it in real life, like how they're using it so that she can relate with it as well. But then the icing on the cake is the raw um, content and reviews from – from mums who are not influencers, who are really just talking genuinely about how, how this works or how what she, her kid thought about it if and so forth. And that's so important. That's got like at the moment um, because, you know, the, the trends are showing more and more raw content is hitting a nerve. That's converting mums and sales even faster, just the everyday consumers talking about it. That's pretty important. So do you sort of know how to preempt what the consumer reviews need to say? Yes, in some instances, correct. We, we, they need to be able to talk about, you know, how easy it was to assemble or, you know, what kind of a backyard it would fit or so forth. We will talk about what is important in with, say, for example, influencers who are there to inform maybe in more detail. But when it comes to um, working with everyday mums who are less curated than influencers, it is it's go for gold. Let it be all natural and organic because the other key thing is very unlikely is mum going to believe a brand that is all five star. So you you want it to be authentic. You, the the mums are going to keep on looking through reviews until she sees negative reviews as well because she won't believe a brand if it's only five stars. She, she wants to um, see a fair balance perspective. How do you manage that then? So it's, it's sort of an ongoing management then because it's not just launching the campaign. It's about managing all the consequences. As you say, that mums don't want it all too shiny because if it's all too shiny, they're going to say, well, there's some bullshit going on here. Like, uh, what's going on? Are they curating their responses somehow? Um, how do you sort of work through that and make sure you've got a nice balance so that's authentic and believable? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll use an example of a baby food brand that we were uh, working with and some of the reviews from everyday mums, yes, they were wonderful, but there were a few that, you know, the kid didn't like it, the kid wasn't going to eat it. And um, I think that's good if they, they say the truth and say, look, my child didn't enjoy it that much because it shows that not it, like you've got to be realistic. Not everybody's going to like the same flavors, but then also what brands need to recognize is that there's awesome opportunity. Like when somebody does say something that's not five star, how you respond to that post will also say a lot about you as a brand. So if you're going to go in and, and, and say, you know, thank you for your experience, you know, have you tried the other flavor that is also really popular or you can, you don't have to see it as a negative. You can see it as an opportunity for how you can 
can show up as a brand. You know, we've got some brands who want to go into um, the, the, the role of, oh, can we please pull that review? You know, we don't want it there. What our guidance is, is to leave it there because it shows authenticity, like it shows a balance um, and it makes everything, it helps mums make a buying decision for the product. Even if it's negative, it's not, it's not always going to deter a mum because the mum might still be willing to, to have a go because she knows that particular flavor, that's her child's favorite flavor, just because your kid didn't like it. So it's not always going to deter it. So the, how brands um, should look at it is not to fear it and, and see it as an opportunity. Mums are smart and there's no point if you're a brand not make you must make that assumption from the beginning. That that, that if you don't make that assumption that the mums are smart, like you say, they know what's authentic, what's not authentic. Um, they know when they're being curated and not being curated. They know when something's too shiny when it shouldn't be too shiny. Um, but at the same time, they accept errors because shit happens. Oh, Mums are obviously highly more educated than you know we've, we've ever been in previous generations. You know they've got amazing jobs, like they've got fantastic careers. Obviously, a lot of them are incredibly well educated and well informed. Um, I have seen, you know, having been in this space for su- such a long time, that brands still underestimate mums, or they will still bring products out into the marketplace without properly validating if. That's what mums like. And they just assume that because she might buy that particular category, she'll buy this product. But mums, like the non-negotiable for them in this day and age where it's such a competitive space is you cannot have a crap product. You need to have an an exceptional product. We've got high standards these days because the competition is just too strong. Um, So you cannot, yeah, you you should absolutely not take mums for granted or assume that they're anything but smart and savvy when it comes to what they're buying for themselves, their kids or their home. And maybe, you know, in a funny sort of way, that's sort of the rise of feminism in that, in that call it by another name, whatever, but feminism I always thought was a push against the assumption that mums are dumb and they sit in the house knitting and doing what the husband tells them. And, uh, and they were sort of dumb, deaf and mute in some respects, like and not, not, and not contributing and maybe the real rise of feminism in one way, in one sense anyway, is that mum power, which is your business, um, mums are powerful. And they're powerful not because there's a whole lot of them, but that is one reason, but there are a lot of them. But they've worked out there is a whole lot of them. And they worked out all together we can make change and we can influence things all together. And, uh, and then mums by – the internet has actually empowered mum, mums, big deal in a big way because they can research everything because they're better researchers probably, more prone to research. And as a result of that, what's emerged out of all this is feminism is this something like mum power where they realise their power. You know, there's a power in this group. Absolutely. And that's what we've been trying to do for such a long time. We want we want to empower brands to involve mums in building the brands that they're going to buy because it is that collective force of the mums who band together. They talk, they recommend, you know, they they can make or break a brand's success because of how they talk and share ideas. That's pretty powerful. It is. Christy, uh, given that you had access to mums buying habits and uh probably more important, what they're going to do in the future because that's something you did ask during the COVID period. Given the current economic times, high interest rates, you know, high rental prices, cost of living has gone up a lot. What do you think is going to happen in 2023? Do you think we're going to, women are going to start to pull back on their spending? 
Yeah, definitely. So the the mums are telling us that the majority are going to be tightening their belts. And then when we have a look at all the different categories of what she's buying, we can see some areas are going to be affected more than others. And it is probably quite consistent with what the rest of the population is going to be tightening up. So mums will be holding back more on the travel, on entertainment, maybe on some fashion and beauty for herself. But there's also going to be some safe zones. So we can see there that products for baby or products for kids are going to be unaffected. And that is absolutely consistent with her spending behavior in COVID. Despite the uncertainty, the last area that gets affected is products for her kids. And um, as much as she wants to hold back on things like supermarket spend, it's probably not viable for her to hold back on the supermarket spend because, you know, if she's not going to be eating out as much, she will still be buying more at the supermarket or, or the, the costs that are going up at supermarket. There's only so much you can hold back on. So there will be some changes ahead. That's interesting because people's habits do change in res- respect of the economics that are in front of them. And you're now saying that mums who control the household income, which by the way, household income, household expenditure, represents 70% of the gross domestic product in this country. And the categories of inflation, probably 70% of all categories of inflation, of all the various categories of inflation, sit in household expenditure, sit at what a household spends on stuff. And if you're saying that mums uh, are in control of that, then we definitely, hopefully, will have a better inflation number sometime next year when um, mums, you know, stop spending the amount of money that they have been doing and sort of redirecting the expenditure into other places. That's really good insight. So so 2023, hopefully what the Reserve Bank governor should be doing, what he should be doing right now is in February 2023, should be coming seeing you and asking you to do a survey for the Reserve Bank of Australia. So that will give them some instruction as to what they should be doing with interest rates. Maybe they should come and talk to you guys before there's any change in the interest rates in February 2023. Why not? Like, you know, you've always got to think outside the square and it's important to, you know, zig where others zag. So, yes, thank you for that recommendation. They should. Reserve Bank Governor, you've got to go see Christy Nicholas at Mum Power to find out what you should be doing in the February meeting when you think about what you're going to do with interest rates on mortgages, mate. <laughs> Thanks for that. Oh, that would be funny. I, I was given an opportunity to ask me a question. Do you have a quick question for me, Christy? running this agency for so long and like you said thank you for that compliment about the name but how important do you think it is for um, businesses like me for the leader to have like a, a personal brand profile like you know doing more speaking appointments or media or having an independent brand a personal brand if you were started trying to start up a brand like a business brand I think it would be important to est- one way of doing that anyway is to establish your own personal brand and it's quite easy to build a business, well, easier to build a business brand if you have a personal brand in the beginning. But if you already have a business brand, I don't know how important it is then to have a personal brand. So in your case, Mum Powers are a business brand already. I don't know how important it is for Christy Nicholas to have her own personal brand then. If I look at business chicks, that's a big business brand. I don't think Amorize Action needs to have her own personal brand in order to make business chicks more powerful because it already exists. But if Emma was going to start off a business chicks brand in this busy environment, which we live in today, busy because brand environments are really busy, there's so many brands out there, then maybe Emma should could stand out and build her business chicks brand up off the back of her own personal brand. And because people like to see well, who's behind this new brand, what's her story or his story, 
how do they look? Can I um, attribute my characteristics to his or her characteristics? Um, are they in touch with me? Are they authentic? And therefore, I will believe them and I might be prepared to follow what they've got to say about the brand they're trying to build. So to answer your question, um, in today's environment, if you're kicking off a brand, I would say it would be better if you could attach a personal brand to it. I would I'd equally say if you've already got a business brand, then don't confuse the business brand with perhaps a personal brand because I don't know if it's necessary. And it seems to me you've already got a business brand and Mum Power is already a business brand. And a lot of people who set up their brands years ago have business brands. When it was less busy, 13 years ago, the brand market was less busy in, in this these non-traditional environments like you're in. Um, and you you had the luxury of time of building yourself up. Like I've got another good example of sweat, um, the sweat brand. Um, there's no point for me, assuming Kayla Ritson still own their brand, um, would be for her to build up her own personal brand because the sweat brand is bigger than her. And um, But if she was launching a, a new uh, training brand, I'd perhaps say, well, maybe you do need to launch your own personal brand to kick off your training brand. So, yeah, hopefully that answers your question. Um, I, I'm always thinking about this because there's a, a personal brand launch because I, I think there's an enormous cost of putting yourself out there in front of a business brand or or putting your own personal brand out there. There's enormous cost. It requires you to constantly turn up. Um, it's always about you. The business not as, is not as valuable because if something happens to you, then the business brand dies. Um, if you put a wrong foot some direction, um, the business brand can be compromised. There's just so many risks associated with it. It may be not worth it if you don't need to take the risks, the personal risks I'm talking about. It also, people expect today, if you're putting yourself out there in person, they expect to know everything about you. They, they want to know where you had drink your coffee and at what time and what do you drink. And that's a big invasion of your personal space some people can find that quite intimidating and to be honest with you, it can be all-encompassing and you get to a point where like you don't know how much you're going to put out there. Um, so it's it's sort of an, it's a very interesting question. It's a good question. I've actually talked to a few people about this over the past couple of months and um, that's sort of been my consistent advice on each occasion. Um, sure, the people want to know who's behind mum power but that's different to trying to build your brand up. I'm not suggesting you want to, but build your brand up around mum power. Um, they want to know who the person is, but um, maybe don't you don't need to, as they take the risks that are associated with it. Thank you. That's very, very helpful. Thanks very much. Thank you, Mark, for having me on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Morley and production assistants, Jonathan Leondis. 